and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Morgan, and I'm here with my co-host, Gavia. Hello. And this week, we are doing a little bit of an experiment with this podcast. If this is your first time listening, this is going to be a very interesting experience for you. What we did this week, because there wasn't much going on um, in pop culture that we were interested in, was we each selected a film that we knew the other person wasn't going to have any interest in of their own volition and we sort of forced each other to watch them which turned out uh, a sort of mixed bag of success I would say so as we explained a little bit last week I have more sort of highbrow arty taste and Gav is more into sort of mainstream pop culture I would say so I forced Gav to watch the Noam Baumbach movie Francis Ha and she had me watch the Wachowskis film Speed Racer <laughs> Uh, it turned out interestingly, I would say. <laughs> uh, I think Gav got something out of Francis Ha, and I hated Speed Racer. So we were sort of like a half or two, um, which which was fine. <laughs> and we did we did select stuff on purpose that we thought the other person would either maybe like or at least get something out of, because there are a couple of films and TV shows which I love a great deal. But for example, I would not even attempt to make Morgan watch the TV show Person of Interest because I know that she would just be like, this is garbage. Yep. Uh, so we both were like, this is for your own good, as Morgan put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a couple people on Twitter who seemed to think that we were just like attempting to torture each other, which was not the object of this. We, no, we, we, we don't want to be mean about movies. We want to enjoy movies. Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> Didn't totally work. But it was an interesting, an interesting exercise. So we're going to start off talking about Francis Ha, and then around halfway through, we'll switch to talking about Speed Racer, which is about as different a film from Francis Ha as it is possible to be. So we're going to be a little bit all over the place with this podcast, but hopefully you'll stick around for both halves. Um, so I think what we're going to do is have each of us who watch the films give a little bit of a plot summary, and then we will the person who selected the movie will explain why we like it and then we'll get into a little bit of a discussion. So Gab's going to start off giving a little bit of a plot summary of Francis Ha, which I picked. So Francis Ha is in black and white set in present day Brooklyn. I think Brooklyn or around various oh, neighborhoods in well, New York. Yeah. yeah. It's set in present day New York and it's about um, a 27 year old a modern dancer who's sort of an apprentice in a company which is a low-paid role where she doesn't really get to perform and it's a Woody Allen type film where she and her friends are all neurotic 20-somethings who aren't very good very nice to each other and have bad relationships and the way it's structured is it's kind of following her as she moves between various houses because it's New York and it's hard to find a house and it's about her being insecure and her kind of codependent friendship with her friend Sophie who she lives with at the, at the beginning of the movie and they really set this up as this very obnoxious friendship between the two of them where they're always in each other's pockets uh, Morgan's laughing at me <laughs> I just like the, the start of the film is just these two women just being so obnoxious and I was like I hate you <laughs> but they're they're the best of friends and they live together they kind of refer to each other as like, oh, you're like my wife if, if we were lesbians. And the thing that really kicks off the story is the main character, Francis's boyfriend, wants her to move in with him. And she's basically like, no, I prioritize my friend over you. 
doesn't tell her friend and then Sophie the friend basically does the opposite thing with her boyfriend she decides to move in with him with basically no warning leaving Francis in the lurch and that kind of puts her into this position of moving through various houses and trying to find some steadiness in her life with her career and her love life and her friendships and stuff yes it's quite hard to describe the plot of this film because it's more about character development yeah it's not really about plot um it's more about her trying to get her shit together um, I think I'm just going to talk about the whole movie in general in this section. So if you haven't seen it or are like desperate to avoid spoilers, I guess don't listen. But it it's doesn't not really happen. a spoiler movie. No. So I just like laughing, was just, like laughing hysterically to myself um, at you describing their friendship as like obnoxious at the beginning. Like, so not my experience of it at all. I mean, the first shot is like them like playing like a ukulele outside like Washington Square Park. And I remember like seeing this in the theater and being like, oh no, but rapidly was fine after that. Um, but I saw this film. It was so funny. I like emailed you about this last night after rewatching it. I hadn't seen it since it came out. And I think I like tweeted this too, being like, I saw this right after I graduated from college. And I had at the end of college, like really, really vicious breakup with my best friend, essentially. And I so closely associate this film with that experience that I was like, yeah, I saw this right after I graduated. And it came out a year after that. So, like, I, this is, like, so... The wounds were still open. Art got to your soul. (laughs) With that, that I, like, revised the historical record, which is so funny to me. I can so kind of understand that codependent relationship and the difficulty of getting out of it and the difficulty of sort of growing up. And then what I really was thinking about watching it this time was, you know, when I watched it for the first time, I'd been living in Brooklyn for a little while, but now have been here for several years and lived in apartments very near their first apartment together with other people and had one really good friend who now lives somewhere else. And I was watching it and I was just like, oh my God, so much like me and this friend. And like, I was like, I have to text her tomorrow. Um, And we didn't have this level of like codependency at all, but it really made me think about that. And I'm kind of like older now and live alone. And I, it was just like so real to me and the feeling of um, growing up and separating from your friends kind of, and not necessarily even into romantic relationships. One of the things I really like about this movie is that the friend winds up basically like getting engaged and getting married. And ultimately the point isn't that like Francis winds up coupling off also, although there's kind of something set up where you think she might wind up with this other guy. It's that she just like gets her shit together with her job and with like moving into another apartment by herself. Um, And I think there's something very universal about that feeling of, having to kind of get your life together and that your like close relationships with your friends, not that they go away, but that they're not that intimate anymore. So like there are two, there are a couple scenes in this movie that I think are the strongest and like really spoke to me both when I first watched it. And then this time where like when they're living together at the beginning, they're having this conversation where they have like, have all these like grandiose dreams about what they're going to do with themselves in the future. And they're going to like take over the world together. And I so remember having conversations like that with my best friends in like high school and college. And like, they're not realistic. Like you're never going to do that. 
probably at all, but certainly like not with your best friends when you're 20. And then I mean, after- say that again in 10 years when the Overinvested podcast TV <laughs> and movie network has taken yeah. over all of Western media. <laughs> but then like after they've sort of had this like breakup essentially, and then she winds up um, in the situation back with the friend when the friend is having trouble with her boyfriend, they have another of these conversations and you can kind of tell that it's not real. And you can kind of tell that Francis knows, even if she doesn't want to admit it, that it's not real. Um, and she says to the friend, like, I don't dislike your boyfriend. It's just that I know like if something funny happens to you on the way home from the store or something like that, that like, you're only going to tell one person and that's like, it's going to be your boyfriend and not me. And I think a lot of people have that experience of like, that is what happens when you grow up. Um, but like that's okay (laughs) and but I think it can be hard and then after that she kind of like is accepts it and then and then grows up and gets a job and moves into her own apartment um and watching it this time I just was like so moved by all of that and it made me really sad but not in a bad way um and I realize it's all very like personal talk but I just think the movie is really beautiful and I don't think that all the characters like terrible and obnoxious. I remember watching it the first time and finding it so excruciating. And this time I kind of was just like, oh, they're all dumb. <laughs> like, they're all just kind of like dumb 20-somethings. And, like, they don't really know what they're doing. Yeah, but I, this I, is the conversation like, we had kind of after last night after I watched the film. And I was yeah. just like, these people are not considerate towards their friends. And they're not taking their job seriously. And Morgan was like, they're in their 20s. And I'm like, we're in our 20s. <laughs> Right. And it was so funny. You were like, I like, I know these people exist, but I don't know any of them. And I was like, I hate to break it to you, but like, I am one of these people. <laughs> like, like, I mean, not that I'm like an asshole, obviously. I yeah, hope. I mean, you but, care about people. <laughs> but like, I don't think, I don't think, but I don't even think it's necessarily if they don't care about people. I mean, like Adam Driver is in this movie. He's very funny. And like, yeah, he's Adam Driver was my favorite person in this film. Yeah. He's he, like, definitely an asshole, but like in a funny way, but like Francis it's like having a difficult time, but I don't think she's a bad person. Like she's just a mess. No. no. Um, and then like the guy who she's living with briefly, not romantically, um, Benji played by Michael Zegan, who is really funny. Also is also clearly like a nice guy, but also just kind of self-absorbed, um, which I think you could use to describe like a lot of the people in this movie, like nice, but a little self-absorbed, yeah. which I think is what most people are like if they're not just jerks. And I just felt really warm towards all of them. And I think this is Nobomek's warmest movie. Like there are other things he's made where he's much nastier to his characters, but he co-wrote this with Greta Gerwig after they got together romantically after making another movie. And I think you really see her influence. This I think is very close to her experience. And I think that helps a lot with the screenplay. He directed it, but they co-wrote it and then she started in it. And there are just so many specific things about, like, being that age in New York, like, on a granular level. I was watching it, and I was just like, oh, my God, like, yes. Which I think helps with the emotional stuff. Even if you don't live here, like, anytime a movie is authentic in that way, you can kind of tell. There's one scene that, like, I do, I remembered it vividly, and I knew it was coming, and I still burst out laughing. Where, like, she's on a date with Adam Driver, which doesn't really go anywhere. But she's trying to pay, because she just got a tax rebate and they don't take debit cards. So she has to go to an ATM to get cash. And she's like sprinting down the street 
like trying to find an ATM and like can't find one. And she went like, and I think I, I have done that. And I think I even know what ATM she winds up at. Cause I think I wound up at that ATM and then she like falls down in the street on the way back. And I was just like, Oh my God, <laughs> like this is like, Oh no. <laughs> I, I have never fallen down in the street doing that. Not on a date, but like, I, I just love it. I think it's beautiful movie and i have been trying to get you to watch it for like three years <laughs> you, you would never watch it because it's not your type of film it didn't work on me <laughs> yeah and i knew it wasn't gonna like i knew it wasn't gonna have this effect but i feel like the there's enough kind of there i share part of your opinion there and part of it i disagree with so i think that it's incredibly realistic it's very insightful but i don't really think it's universal like it seems so incredibly specific to New York and to like this particular hipstery mid-twenties not slackers but when you're unsure about your life and it's hard to get a job and you're sort of moving around but nobody is going for like the day job thing really people are just trying to be artists but you don't really see them trying hard and I, I just found that like not I guess with this type of film like the goal is to be both realistic and entertaining and identifiable and I kind of only got the realistic part I didn't really find it that funny um, I think there was like one scene that I found funny and that was sort of towards the end when the best friend Sophie was getting drunk and just sort of yelling at people and I was like okay this is hilarious and the rest <laughs> of it I was just like either find it really awkward or just wasn't engaging at all <laughs> I guess I kind of fixated on her career a bit because the main character is a dancer and the actress who plays her is a really good dancer she's got a lot of training but they decided to portray her visually as just not being that great and I think they did that on purpose because most people who are watching are not really going to know the difference between a great dancer and a good dancer so they had to just portray her as being a bit like mediocre which I immediately sort of brought me out of the realism because I was like why hasn't she been fired from the company yet because there was like a billion aspiring dancers in New York which I realize is a minor quibble and I shouldn't be having it but it was kind of grating at me but also they don't really show her having any passion for her art which I guess is also an intentional thing because it's sort of more about her going through this water life crisis and not really knowing what to do but I just would prefer to see a story about someone who's trying hard <laughs> because also like after watching the film I looked up a few reviews and there were a lot of people kind of talking about like oh it's a really great depiction of people hustling and people in their 20s trying really hard and living in New York and not having any money and I'm like I don't think it is because I think people generally have a day job because you have to have a day job to stay alive unless you're rich which is the part that they actually point out like there are a couple of characters who have really rich parents who support them well, one, I don't think the hipstery New York thing is universal at all. Like, I think that that's clearly a specific, like, bougie white, mostly white New York, Brooklyn, Manhattan thing. I think the thing that struck me as more universal was, like, the growing up part of it. But, the thing um, that I really liked was her just repeatedly saying that she was 27 and being really neurotic about whether she looked old or not. Yeah. That was, like, the one thing that I identified with. I didn't identify with much in this film, and I don't really generally latch on to characters at all but I was like okay <laughs> like <laughs> I many people in their mid-20s suddenly you get like really into these infinitesimal year gaps like oh what's the special thing that you're supposed to be reaching for like the 26 milestone it's like obviously nothing right. <laughs> some people have like four kids by now and other people yeah. are still like living with their parents so <laughs> uh, but I think the fact that she doesn't express deep passion for dance that we can see is definitely on purpose yeah. because 
I think part of the issue is that like she's super aimless and like not actually trying that hard, but also doesn't want to actually like get a real job because she hasn't, she refuses to give up the idea that she is going to be doing this other thing. And there's a scene where near the end where her boss at the company basically says like, do you want this desk job? And she's like, no, of course not. And the boss is like, are you really? <laughs> are you sure? And she is so sort of appalled by that. And I think a lot of it is just that there's this identity thing that a lot of people who pursue arts careers get when they're very young, right? And then that's just who you are. Yeah. But like at a certain point, it's not anymore. And I think what I liked about them picking dance was that there is a point in people's lives where they have to be like, yeah, I, I need to just stop. Yeah, I mean, if you've this. not made it in modern but, dance by 27, then you've not made it. Yeah, like, but also, like, with dance, specifically, like, you literally age out. Yeah. With a book, you could be, like, having a job and, like, writing on the side and then, like, be 35 and get a book deal. That happens all the time. Dance, you're, you're done at a certain point. Your body is done. Not that, like, people can't physically dance beyond the age of 27, but, like, you know what I mean? And so, in a similar way to like athletes right that there is a for like an enforced ticking clock thing in the movie to sort of like inform the audience like no she really needs to get her shit together <laughs> like this is actually you know we we need to do this which makes it slightly more urgent which she obviously eventually does because she has to because the movie wouldn't function if it ended and she was still just like, nah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the, the reason why I kind of preferred the ending to work to the beginning is because she does kind of get figure out what she's doing with her career. Yeah, <laughs> that's like kind of very much by comparison. It kind of did end up being a film where I would kind of have to be forced to watch it. And then like yes. after I'd finished, I was kind of thinking, have I ever really enjoyed something like this? And I realized that I have because I really love Broad City which is thematically extremely similar, but is obviously a comedy and is a very silly comedy. Yeah. But it's also really insightful. And it's about kind of girls who aren't trying that hard and are, you know, scrabbling to pay rent in Brooklyn. And one of them is an artist. And it's just, I just love it. And I find it very realistic and hysterical. But <laughs> this is not, <laughs> unfortunately, like insightful emotional comedy dramas are not for me. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is much more melancholy. Also, I saw this on 35mm, I think, and it was so beautiful. And I have it on Blu-ray and was a little bit, like, it doesn't look nearly as good. This is, like, random and, like, techie. I was watching but, um, it on Amazon, and I could tell that it looked really good, but I could also tell that it looked better on film. Yeah, because, like, when I saw it, I mean, it was stunning, like, just gorgeous. And I was like, yeah, this is not transferred. <laughs> as well as it should have done um but it's fine you can't have you can't have everything um i would also to like wrap up this section um no i really love no bombeck and uh there are a couple of his movies i don't like so much but he did another movie with garda garway called mistress america that came out last year that i don't think is as good as this but i really enjoyed so if people have watched this or are convinced to watch this from this segment um i would recommend that too it 
partially takes place at my alma mater at Barnard, um, which was really fun because Greta Gerwig went there also. So I went with a friend of mine who I went to college with and we were like screaming while I watching it. I think you need to work together. on a film with one of these two people because you clearly yeah. have a lot in common. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the other one I love is The Squid and the Whale, which was his breakout film from a long time ago that also has a lot to do with my personal life, which I will not get into, but it's great. It was like Jesse Eisenberg's first um first I don't know if it was his first movie, but it's certainly his first big movie and it's just like fantastic. So those would be my extra recommendations. Um if people are interested in this kind of movie. And I'm gonna put up a, a couple of book recommendations. Because there's a couple of books I like which are kind of about aimless young New York female artists, but they're trying really hard while failing. <laughs> <laughs> which I really, there's like, I really enjoy. Um, there's two, one of the writers is called Alina Simone, who was a singer songwriter and then later became uh, an author and journalist. She wrote a memoir about spending like 10 years trying to be an indie singer songwriter and not really making it but she's great and she's a really good writer and the other one is an author named Helene Hanf who I think I've already recommended to Morgan before who wrote she's known for writing a book called 84 Charing Cross Road in like the mid 20th century which is about her an impoverished New York writer writing letters to a bookstore in Britain because they could get her cheaper copies of classic literature and then they like formed a pen pal relationship but she later also wrote memoirs about trying and failing to become a playwright for like 10 years and I love them great books about failure yeah. but also life success I have been meaning to read that one for like years since you recommended it to me and I haven't gotten around to it but I have seen it on the subway in New York multiple <laughs> times so clearly it's you know speaks to a certain certain class of people here so with that done why don't we move on to speed racer ah! a film that really tells you everything you need to know from the title yes <laughs> character's name literally speed racer first name speed second name racer so oh. morgan let's run me through the plot what happens in this film what is you it about i will attempt to do this I was like on Twitter too much watching this film as like an attempt to get myself through it. And at one point had to literally look up the Wikipedia summary of the plot because I was like, I have no idea what's going on. Anymore. I mean, I have <laughs> to confess, I did pause Francis half or halfway through, go for a run and come back. <laughs> but like Not both of us were distracted last night. We really should have locked ourselves in a darkened room and avoided Twitter and all the news of the uh, the filibuster going on in the Senate, which was very enthralling. Perhaps yes. more enthralling for us in these two films. And also important dating news from yeah. Tom Hiddleston and Taylor Swift, which was happening last night as we record this several days ago now when you are listening to it. But big news. I mean, was... who knows what developments in the world of Taylor Swift and Tom Hiddleston will have happened by the time you guys are listening to this episode. I, it, we cannot even fathom. So Speed Racer is about a young man named Speed Racer who is from a family of race car drivers I guess. Or his dad, like, is a you know, mechanic for these cars. Yeah, he builds cars. Yeah. His older brother was a race car driver and then vanished at some point into, like, the underworld of car driving and then died. And his speed racer has always wanted to, like, uphold his legacy or something. Um, and then he becomes successful at sort of a, like, local level and tries to get the... Like, big sponsor tries to buy him out, and he says no, and then finds out that the the larger level of race car driving has been 
rigged for forever because capitalism is bad and is really disillusioned. And then after him having said no, this big corporate guy basically tries to like destroy his family's business. And then somehow he winds up doing the same like long sort of underground race that his brother did because somehow that's going to help his family. This was when I had to look up the Wikipedia summary. So I was like, I don't understand what's happening, but then it turns out he was lied to. And then someone gives him an invitation to do, to race at like the big race. That's always rigged. And then, I mean, I'm just giving away the entire plot of the movie, but like, he, he winds up victorious in the end, which is Yeah, I think anyone who sees the trailer for this film knows that it's going to end with Speed Racer winning, winning a race. It's a very yeah. child-friendly movie based on right. a childish cartoon. Um, and then there's also a like mysterious figure who's like helping him along the way. And he's convinced this guy is his brother. And then, the it, you know, he unmasks himself at some point, this mysterious guy, and he has a different face from his brother. So he's very disappointed. Or is he? Da-da. Also pretty obvious what is happening there if you've like seen a film ever or like read a book. The narrative is, is not shocking. So Gab, why don't you explain why you like this movie? Okay, so I'm really glad that I rewatched this film about six months ago because when I saw it in theaters I was like, Hey, this is good and then I later found out that everyone thought it was terrible. And I was like, Wow, I'm gonna rewatch this film and be really disappointed and I actually liked it more as an adult. The plot is really simple, and I think it does follow the kind of Wachowski's flaw of being too long, because they either they make films that simply should just be edited to be shorter, or they make films that should be four or five hours long, but are forced to be too short, because you can't release a film that's four hours long, which is a problem that's kind of still going on with their Netflix series, which I think is incredible and really interesting and experimental, but also like relatively slow moving because they finally had the space to expand out in their storytelling method and they've expanded too slowly. So Speed Racer is like over two hours long and the story, as Morgan says, is like very simple. It's one of these, some nice people take on a large corporation and through a series of racing scenes that closely resemble a very expensive version of 90s video games, they are triumphant. And there's a lot of really nice feelings and kill comedy moments, and that's basically it. <laughs> but part of the reason why I really, really love this film is just the visual style is really unique. And Morgan absolutely fucking loathed it. Clearly, <laughs> clearly, I think the, the phrase eyes falling out of my head was used. <laughs> but um, for me, I just, I just adored it because it's a very unusual and quite innovative use of CGI. Like most of the film is CGI really in a similar vein to Sin City, but it's basically the opposite aesthetic. So it's riffing off the way uh, children's cartoons looked. It's adapted very loosely from a very popular cartoon that was uh, originally popular in Japan. And um, so like both the foreground and the background are in focus almost all the time. And there is a lot of quite surreal sequences where you'll see like kapows on screen and you'll see stuff that's happening in people's memories. And you'll there's like parts where different stories are taking place in split screens at the same time or the background will be a flashback or an illustration of what someone's saying. So it's very dreamlike and childish and extremely colourful. Like it's one of the most colourful movies I've ever seen. And they've also got a lot of really larger than life characters. So they've got these sort of Mad Max-esque car drivers who are like viking themed <laughs> and they have a ninja battle where someone pulls a ninja's pants down and underneath they've got like a ninja box of shorts on <laughs> um so 
yeah, I just, I find it very fun in a very kind of simple way. And I find it to be a lot more kind of constructive and positive than a lot of big budget sort of action blockbusters. And I also enjoy a great deal just in the kind of back catalogue of Wachowski movies because I find them very interesting as filmmakers. And I always find something new to look at when I rewatch their films. Hopefully we will have an episode where we talk about other Wachowski films with Morgan, but uh, she has not even seen The Matrix yet. No, amazingly, I have never seen The Matrix, which I realize is horrible. But uh, I was I was too young when it came out because my parents were very Oh, so was I. I definitely was not movies. permitted to see that film. We were yeah. both like nine. Yeah. Oh, man, that was a long time ago. Yeah. And then it was slightly passe by the time I was like old enough. I was the philosophy club in high school, which was hilarious, which basically was just people sitting around and then it always evolved into, but what if we're really in the matrix? By that point, I was like, I don't need to see this movie. Definitely sounds like hell. I mean, the least interesting thing about the matrix is the concept of the matrix. Yes. It's like when people get really into inception and they're like, wow, I wonder how many, how does the, like the structure of the dream work? And it's like, it definitely doesn't matter because it's about like <laughs> injecting something into someone's arm and then they magically share their dream. <laughs> Good times, good times. Yeah, um, <laughs> I did not enjoy this film. I I don't really want to just, like, shit on it, because that's not fun, but, like, I just, I found it almost unwatchable. I think a lot of the, like, visual stuff is really just, like, you're gonna like it or you're not. Like, it's a pure taste thing. I mean, like, within three minutes of this movie, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, this is going to be bad. Like, it is really, really brightly colored, as you said, and, like, like sort of neon colored. And the, yeah, like, the depth of field is just, like, there's basically one plane. Um, and I was, like, I think I literally was sitting there almost, like, sort of leaning back with my eyes just, like, wide open. and was like, oh, no. Like, um, so that was... A fundamental problem that was probably could not have been overcome by anything else that they did like I just did not like it um I did not like looking at it but I also thought that like the I just wasn't didn't find the plot or the characters engaging like I think the, the problem with the plot like you were describing it as simple but I actually think it's kind of convoluted like I was not paying as much attention as I should have been but like the stuff in the middle with the like or he winds up doing like the long race that's sort of like not mainstream or whatever. What I sort of learned from Wikipedia was that like one guy says to him, like, if you help us do this, then we'll like help your dad with this thing. And I was thinking like, okay, so if a little kid were watching this, this would probably be quite difficult to follow actually. And like, sure you get to the end and like he's doing the big race and whatever, but I could definitely see a child just sort of being like, I get some of the humor of this, but like, I don't actually follow what's going on anymore. Um, and so I think it was simultaneously like quite simplistic, but also they like made it more complicated than they needed to, which I think as we, you were just saying, like they have a tendency to do. Um, I mean, I think the emotional arc works really well. It's like thematically simple and they do have several twists and turns that are like maybe confusing, but I don't think to the detriment of the film, but emotionally, well, I, I think found, it just like, it's so complete. I found the characters 100% unengaging. So that was also like problem. Like 
I I thought the Susan Sarandon and John Goodman pay, play the parents. And I thought they were fine. I love but, that those two people's names. Their first names are Moms and Pops Racer. So two people whose names were Moms and Pops married and had children, and that's their given names. Name them Speed and Rex. Yes. Um, and whatever the kid's name is. This acting style is very um cartoonish, which is fine. But... Which is also really in John Goodman's wheelhouse. Like I really enjoy. John Goodman's performance in this film, which is extremely cartoon dad. Yeah. And they give him some great action, like kind of surreal action scenes. I found Emil Hirsch playing Speed Racer. He was such a sort of like avatar character to me. Like I didn't really feel like he was a person or someone I should care about. Christina Ricci plays his girlfriend and is just there. Like she has no personality. And at one point like takes over one of the cars in the race, but like you've never seen her any any like evidence that she can do this and she's like well you're always telling me that i'm a great driver i was like that's never happened like we've never seen that like okay and they telegraph the like big point like he loves his brother but it's all very like telling and not showing i think is what i found unengaging about it and so i just like didn't care about any of them and the only person who's doing like real sort of like emotive acting it's like Matthew Fox, who gets like two, who plays the the mysterious man who, who <laughs> is his brother, um, and who gets a couple good like almost crying moments in, which is his real strength. Um, we were discussing before. Unfortunately, Matthew Fox is is a bad man, but he's very good at acting. So, and crying is his specialty, as we as we saw in Lost. Anyone who who watched that, um, but I I just yeah I did not like it. I know people, I know it has a kind of cult following, but the uh, the consensus at the time was was that it was not great. And I kind of was like, Ooh, maybe I'll maybe I'll like this movie. And I watched it and I was just like, oh, no. Yeah, not a great. I not failed a great in my recommendation. Did you not even think much of Roger Allen as the posh supervillain boss, who I recall having some truly incredible cartoonish supervillain monologues with amazing sequences in the background? It was fine. It was just like, it was too much. Like, and I like plenty of movies that are like highly stylized. Oh yeah, for like, sure. But like, it has to work. And I felt like this was just like so much for like, why? Like, what was it achieving? For me, it was achieving nothing but like making my eyes hurt. Um, and the cartoonish nature of like the acting wasn't doing anything for me except making the characters feel like plastic people and i could sort of see the point they were trying to make about like capitalism etc which of course as we know is like the wachowski's big thing which is very amusing considering how expensive their films are yes very much so much as i love the wachowski's obviously yes um but it was not it's not a sophisticated uh metaphor it's fine, but I was kind of like, yeah, I don't know about this. Um, so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I don't really have much else to say. That is, that is very sad for me. I think for, for listeners who are more Team Gav here and are big fans of Speed Racer, I'm going to recommend a podcast in the show notes, um, which is on the Intuit podcast, where they have like a different guest 
every week who's a big fan of something and this is uh jay edidin from jane miles explain the x-men who is like the world's hugest speed racer fan and <laughs> these two hosts kind of discuss speed racer they go into like a lot of detail on every aspect of the film they have some interesting thoughts on kind of trans narratives in the film and also kind of as longtime fans of the cartoon they're more knowledgeable than i am but um if you look yeah. in the show notes you will find that and in future if we do another one of these episodes morgan and i are gonna <laughs> try harder to find things that we think the other one will like but I don't know if we'll succeed. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely do this again. We definitely we, will. Yeah, I, I found this an enjoyable exercise despite the misery I was in. <laughs> <laughs> I think like my first reaction after I saw Frances Ha was that Morgan, in her dastardly way, had found a way to psychoanalyze me. Kind of after watching it, I was like, you can definitely tell a lot about a person for how they react to Frances Ha. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've never... Not never, but like often not trying to do that, and it happens anyway, which skill. says a lot about me. No. <laughs> um, it was it certainly was very revealing, right? Like we picked things oh, that yeah. were one hundred percent like. You see, I'm I'm now slightly regretting picking Speed Racer because the film I was originally going to choose was Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion, which is also about two women in their twenties who are like slackers and don't know what to do with their lives, which would be so thematically perfect with Frances Ha. And I've actually been meaning to see that for a long time. Yeah. So that would not have been something that, like, I would never, never watch. So someday, someday we'll do that. But yeah, we'll, we'll do this again at some point and we'll see how that goes. Okay, so next week we're going to be discussing Preacher, the TV series, based on a comic which I've never read and I believe Morgan has never read. But um, I watched the first few episodes of this um, when it started last month. Yeah, so it stars uh, Dominic Cooper and Ruth Negga, who is incredible, um, and Joe Gilgum, who some people may know from Misfits, which I also recommend is a very good show. And it's about a Texas preacher with a somewhat convincing Texas accent from Dominic Cooper, <laughs> um, who is kind of imbued with this supernatural power that's sort of demonic and godlike and allows him to control people. Um, but it's like the first few episodes are an interestingly slow introduction to that concept. It's quite funny. It's got like a really interesting tone and it's quite an atypical comic book adaptation while also falling into these supernatural Wild West horror subgenres. Yeah, so we will be talking about that next week. I am also watching it. I think I like it slightly less than Gab, but I also find it pretty interesting. So uh, if you are watching that, tune in, catch up if you're not. Uh, thank you for listening this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes. It's how we find new listeners. Otherwise, you can find us at overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod, or at Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>